1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 5. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that He has borne witness concerning His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son and he who has the Son has the life, definite article. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. The issue of the gospel is not whether I believe a doctrine or not. I think sometimes that's the way it is presented. At least it is the way that it is received. A while back we had a, um, a wedding here and uh, there was a young engineering, uh, a young engineer who was a groomsman in this wedding and, and we were standing back in my office visiting um, before our time to come in. He was looking at some of my books. And um, he asked me if I'd read those books and everything in them. And I, I lied and said, yeah, I know, I've read every one of them. And he said, well, you must be a real scholar. I said, no, I'm the farthest thing from a scholar. I said, are you a scholar? He said, well, I, I try to be. He said that he'd been studying Christianity. And we talked about his relationship with the Lord. And he told me that he was not a believer, but that he was um, uh, working on it, or at least somebody was working on him. And he told me about this guy that he worked with who was a very intelligent young man who uh, had been witnessing to him, talking to him about the Christian faith. And he ended the conversation about that just before we came in with this statement. He said, oh, I guess one of these days he'll talk me into it. The real issue of the gospel is not whether or not I'm going to believe a certain doctrine. Um, that's the way it is often presented, or at least it's the way it is often accepted. I have my opinion, you have yours. I'll try to convince you of my opinion. You try to convince me of yours. Not by a million miles is that the real issue. The essence of the gospel is not a doctrine or a body of truth to be believed. It is a life 
to be received. Uh, so that every time you hear a message, you're being asked a question, and the question is not, do you believe this truth? The question is, are you going to live or die? The issue that is at stake this morning when you walk out of those doors is not, do you believe what I preach? The issue that is at stake when you walk out of the doors back there at the back is, are you going to be alive or dead? The issue of the gospel is whether or not you're going to accept life or death. And so God is just about trying to give man eternal life. He is about trying to give man this life that he has. And our text is unique because the author uh, puts God on the, on, on, the, on the witness stand. It's a courtroom scene and God is on the witness stand. God is giving his testimony. And he's giving witness concerning his son, Jesus Christ, as God's divine son. For you see, this letter was written to combat a heresy called Gnosticism. And one of the things that Gnosticism denies is that Jesus is divine, is deity. And so God is bearing witness concerning his son. And he says, I'm bringing three witnesses to the courtroom to give witness to my son. One is the water, which is a reference to the baptism of Jesus. In the, in the inauguration of his public ministry, God declared Jesus to be his son at his baptism. He declared it with a dove that lighted on him and an audible voice saying, this is my beloved son. Then he says, there is the witness of the blood, which is the cross of Jesus. In the culmination of his ministry, God declared Jesus to be his son. There's so much about the cross event that declares God's son to be divine. Even the centurion said, surely this was the son of God. And the third witness is the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now John says, if you believe the witness of man, and you'd believe the witness of man if you brought three witnesses to a court of law, how much more should you believe the witness of God? And if you do not believe that Jesus is God's son, he said, you call God a liar. And the issue of the witness is not that we will believe or accept the truth that Jesus is God's son. Verse 11 underlines that and says, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. So the real essence of the gospel is to believe that Jesus Christ is God's son in order that you might receive his life. Now I want to say four things about this eternal life that God offers us in Jesus. First, eternal life is God's life. If I were to go out among the audience this morning and ask you for your definition of eternal life, it might be interesting to get the answers. I, I thought about doing that, not really. 
what is your definition? What do you think about when you hear the terms eternal life? I'm sure that most of us would answer, well, that means that we'll live forever. It's everlasting life. It's life that goes on and on. For that's what we've been taught. I can remember as a young boy listening to a preacher talk about eternal life. And he, and he talked about how long it was. That's the, that's the emphasis he placed on it. And he used these marvelous illustrations. He said, if you had a piece of, if you had a steel ball about the size of a basketball, and you brought that basketball around once every thousand years just to brush against a feather, the time it would take for you to wear that steel ball down to the size of a BB would be about a second in eternity. And I was just saying, man, I was just captivated by that. And he said, if you had a dove and that dove was trained to go to every beach and pick up a grain of sand once every thousand years, the time it would take for that dove to clear all the beaches of the world of every grain of sand would be about a minute in eternity. And I was thinking to myself, man, that's what I want. I want to live forever. Let me tell you something. You tell some people that they're going to live forever and they won't think it's a very good deal. That's why 800 people commit suicide every day in the United States. If you told somebody that eternal life means that life is going to go on and on and on for you, it wouldn't be a prize to, 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 to covet. That's just incidental. If you say that eternal life means that you can live forever, you just scored 33 and a third. That's just a third of it. It's just really incidental. Listen, eternal life is not how long you live, it's how you live. It's quality rather than quantity. It's not something that adds years to your life. It's something that adds life to your years. So if it is not really at the, at the heart of it, if it does not really mean that it's just something that goes on and on everlastingly, what does eternal life mean? It is the life of God. It's God's own life imparted, deposited within the life of the believer. It's life on a new dimension it's life with the nature and the characteristic and the character and the quality of God about it. It's living as man was intended to live originally. So that if a person has eternal life, he's living like he was originally meant to live. Now some of you remember when I first came here, I drove a big old 76 O's, or my wife drove that bomb, uh, you know, big old car. Had, oh, had almost 100,000 miles on that thing when I traded. I bought that car back when, you know, a person's status was determined by the, by the size of his car, you know. I wanted to be a big man, so I bought me a big car. Not really, but I wanted this big car with lots of luxury, so I brought this, bought this big old 76 Oldsmobile. And... Um, it was just, you know, it, was a, it just ran great 
But one day I began to notice that, you know, when I mash on the accelerator, it'd hesitate. You know, just kind of roar a little bit, then it kind of jerk and take off. And I thought, I'm having me some transmission problems here. I'm not a mechanic, but it didn't take long to figure that out. But I was going to drive that sucker as long as I could before I took it down into uh, the garage. And once, one Monday morning, it was after a prayer breakfast, I came out and got in that thing, and she wouldn't move, wouldn't budge, just roar, you know, never would go. Had it in, you know, in drive, et cetera. Some of those guys from the prayer breakfast came out there and they gave me the diagnosis. You've got a transmission out. Well, I was fixing to go to the convention in Oklahoma City, so I just called one of the garages here. They came and hauled that thing away. Now, I'm not going to give you the gory details of that bill when I got home. But um, when, I, when I saw that bill, um, you know, and it said, you know, new transmission. And it put, this guy put a brand new transmission in it. And I got in and cranked her up and away we went. I was singing myself, that's the way you were meant to run there, baby, as I went down the street. Now there's something wrong with man, basically. The unbeliever, the lost man, is not living, not running like he was intended to run. And God does something in his life, a miracle. He gives him a new life, an eternal life. He deposits his own life in the life of that man, that believer. Now he still looks the same. He still has the same color of skin, same color of hair, etc. But he's a new person. He has a new life, God's own kind of life. And you can hear God saying, that's, what I, that's how I intended for you to live when I made you. Eternal life is God's life. Secondly, eternal life is God's gift. It is a gift of God. Now, if, if eternal life is God's kind of life, God's life deposited within us, then if I get eternal life, it's going to have to be given to me as a gift. I mean, that makes sense. And I got to look at that. You, you look at that carefully. If the only one we can call eternal is God, then he's the only one who has eternal life. And if anybody has eternal life, other than God is something that God gave him. Now what that says when you look at it carefully is this that it would be as easy for you to become God as it would be for you to save yourself. If eternal life is God's life, then the only way you can have eternal life is for God to give you that. It would be just as easy for you to make yourself God as it would be for you to save yourself. Now you're not about to make yourself God and you're not about to save yourself. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life. He not only gave his life for us, he gave his life to us. 
And Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin, that's a military term, it means rations or substitute pay. The rations of sin, what you, your compensation for sin is death. But the charismata, the grace gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life is God's gift. Third thing I want to say about it. I want to hurry to the last point and have some time there. Eternal life is in God's Son. Now look at what he says um, in verse 12. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Eternal life is in his Son. It is not in the church. It is not in baptism. It is not in reformation. It is not in the catechism. It is in his Son. Now, the amazing thing about when you, when you read 1 John and you come to passages like this, it looks like that this passage was addressed to lost people. It wasn't. The book of 1 John was addressed to believers who were having trouble with the Gnostic heresy. This message I'm preaching this morning is really not an, evangel an evangelistic message. It's a message to Christian people because some of us can profess Christ and not possess Him. Now what John is saying is this, you can profess Christ, but if you do not possess Him, you do not have eternal life, for that life is in His Son. It's not in the church, it's not in baptism, it's not in the catechism, it's not in reformation, it's in Jesus. He said, there's no way to the Father but by me. Now I think there's some folks who think that eternal life is in the church. I heard Ron Dunn preach one time. He told the funniest illustration. He said, let me, let me put it in this way. Suppose that after church this morning, you, you, you went out here and you started down North First Street and you saw me sitting on top of that sign out there that says to Atoka, you know, 35 miles or whatever it said. You saw me perched on there like a big bird, a, a real big bird. <laughs> And, and, and you, you, you probably you know, would look the other way and think, I hope that nobody knows that's my pastor sitting up on that, that sign. But some of you might stop, pull over and stop, and you say, um, Pastor, um, what are you doing? And I would say, um, well, I'm going to Atoka. You see the sign says Atoka, 35 miles or whatever it says. And you, you, you'd probably say, now, Pastor, you've been under a lot of pressure. Just come on down and we'll get you to the hospital and see if we can't get you some help. Or you might say, you might say, Pastor, that sign won't take you to Atoka. It just points the way to Atoka. Now, folks, I mean, let's be honest. There are a lot of folks who are sitting on the sign of church membership or baptism or whatever, and we need to say to those friends, brother, my friend, baptism, church membership won't get you to heaven. It just points the way there. 
The gift of God is in, in Jesus Christ. If you do not possess Him, you can profess Him all day, but you must possess Him to possess eternal life. Eternal life is in His Son. One last word. Eternal life is God-assured. Now look at what he says in verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And that word know is to know with absolute certainty. It's to know without doubt or question. It's to have, to have absolute certainty. Now the book of 1 John has so many references to how we can know that we have eternal life. I want to just mention three, two of them are right here in this text. One way that you may know that you have eternal life is by the eternal word, by this word right here. By the eternal word, by this book. You can know that you have eternal life by this, John said, I have written this in order that you might know with absolute certainty that you have eternal life. Now some of us have, sometimes we have doubts because we don't really understand the basis of salvation in the first place. You remember a few weeks ago and I preached a sermon on, uh, on the, the uh, Holy Spirit convincing us or giving us confidence of our salvation. You remember that? Uh, one person does. Well, I preached this sermon on, on the Holy Spirit helping us to know for sure that we've been saved. I used this illustration about true story about this lady out in West Texas who came to me and asked to be baptized. I'd baptize her again. She'd been baptized five times and she was doubting her salvation. Now, there are a lot of reasons why that lady had all these doubts, but one of them was, when we began to talk about it, was that when she went forward, the evangelist said, you know, he set them all, it was in a big revival, just packed out, and this, this evangelist had been preaching. And a lot of people came forward, and he set them all down on the front row, just lined them out there, and, and he was going to, you know, kind of counsel with them, you know, collectively. And this is what he asked. He said, did you pray and tell God you were sorry for your sins and ask him to save you. And, and, and Cletus said, I, 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 I sat there, and, and there, you know, and, and when he said that, then he just went on. He, she said, I didn't, say, I didn't actually say that, she said. I didn't actually pray that. I'm sorry for my sins. Jesus, will you save me? She said, I, I said, well, what did you say? And she said, I don't really remember what I said, but I didn't say that. And the reason I don't think I'm saved is because I didn't say what he asked if I, did I say, you know. I said, well now, you know, that, that's not the point, you know. 
It's not saying a certain, you know, uh, word or formula, but she could never get over that hump. In fact, she, she was guilty, feeling guilty, because she felt like she lied to God when she uh, stayed at the front row as though she did say that, you know. John 6, 47 says, Jesus speaking, he that is believing on me hath everlasting life. It's in the present tense. Are you believing on Jesus this morning? Then you have everlasting life. You have eternal life. Now, when I give my testimony, sometimes, you know, I, I went forward and I got, uh, I, I'm sure I was saved when I was in junior, uh, junior high, but, but something happened to me when I was a senior in high school that was more life-changing, I think. I mean, that was a tremendous change. When I go back to give my testimony, I'm tempted to talk about my salvation as though it happened when I was a senior in high school. Now, and I'm going to say something might shock you. Somewhere along the way, between junior high and senior in high school, I got saved somewhere along the way. You say, you mean you can't tell me the day and the, and the hour, the place where you were, you were actually saved? I, I, really, I can't. Oh, you might say, well, I don't, you know, I, you're not saved if you can't tell me the exact place. Show me that in the scripture. Somewhere, it doesn't, really, it doesn't really matter to me this morning that I have a hard time discerning whether I save in junior high or senior. The important thing is that I'm saved. I'm believing on Jesus. And he that is believing on me, he said, hath eternal life. This is the word of God. I'm standing on that. We can know we're saved by the internal witness. Verse 10 says that, that you have the witness in yourself. Look at ver chapter three, verse 24. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit he has given us. Chapter four, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. In so many ways, the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit inside that I belong to God. You can know you're saved by the eternal word, by the internal witness, finally, by the external walk. I want you to hear me carefully because I believe this with all my heart. The man who has eternal life is a changed man. Sin no longer is the rule of his life. It is the exception. And a man who goes on habitually in sin and declares that he has eternal life is a violation to everything 1 John talks about. It's a lie. If you live in habitual sin, then you don't know Jesus. That's what I see in God's word. The external walk is different when a man has eternal life. And that's one way you can know you've been saved. I want you to look carefully at verse nine of chapter three. No one who is born of God 
practices sin. Now, in the New American Standard, it has practice its sin. In the King James, it says, no one who is born of God sins, and, 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 and sinless perfection comes right out of that. It doesn't say that. It's the present tense. It means no one who is born of God habitually practices the lifestyle of sin. Because what? His seed, that means his eternal life abides in him. God's life abides in him. His nature abides in him. And he cannot practice sin, habitually sin. Why? Because he's born of God. His external walk will be different. pastor turned away from the graveside of a man who had been shot down in a barroom fight. He'd just lived a life of just a wicked life. And as he turned away, that young man's mother said to the pastor, well, I know that my son didn't really live a very good life, but you know, he was saved when he was in high school or junior high. And you know what we believe? Once saved, always saved. And the pastor went away, went on walking down the road, down to his car. I guess, you know, he didn't want to say in response to what he really felt, but he wrote about it later. He said, I wanted to say, yes, but in order to always be saved, you got to first be saved. And once a person has been born again and he has eternal life, his external walk is going to be different. And only, the only thing I can understand from the scripture is to relate this to, to, to what is happening as the scripture presents it is. If a man goes back to a habitual life of sin, the nature of God does not abide in him. He can't do it, the scripture says. Uh, it's kind of like um, digging ditches and digging post holes. You ever had to dig post holes? My father would always give me the blessing of the springtime when we'd have to put up new fence and I'd dig post holes. That'll bless you. Only one thing worse than digging post holes is digging ditches. <laughs> I guarantee you that's worse. You dig a post hole, you're going to dig a hole in the ground, you're going to move over about... 10 yards or 10 feet or whatever, you're going to dig another. And you're going to have a post hole here. You're going to get to move over here and dig another. You dig a ditch, you're going to dig a post hole and you're going to stretch it all the way out, you know, 100, 100 yards. <laughs> and that's a lot harder than digging, digging post holes. When you're born of God, you're going to sin. I've sinned today and I'm ashamed of it. But that sin is not the rule of my life. It's the exception. It's a post hole. It's here and then it's here and then it's here. And in between time there's remorse and repentance and regret and confession. But the man who goes back to a lifestyle of sin, that is his life is like a ditch that just continues on. The same old habitual lifestyle of sin. The scripture says better check his relationship with God. Now the real issue this morning is this. You're going to walk out of those doors alive or dead. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your very life is available as a gift not to achieve but to accept. And that that life is in your Son triumphant Lord of the grave and that in receiving Christ by faith receiving 
all that he means and stands for, we receive eternal life. And then we know by every evidence of your word and by the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us, the change that comes in our desires and our walk, we have eternal life. God, I pray that the dead will be quickened to life. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now our invitations this morning of these, the first is for you to come and receive the gift of eternal life. Come accepting Christ as your personal Savior, believing on Him, trusting everything to Him, coming to receive Jesus Christ. He said, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life, is having everlasting life. Come and receive Christ. Come and possess Him. The second invitation is for us to come and rededicate ourselves to Him. Perhaps you're not walking consistent with your faith and it's bothered you. God is drawing you back and you've been miserable. It's evidence of your salvation. You want to get right with God. You're in one of those post holes now. There's sin in your life and you, you want to repent of it and get right with God. Or you may want to join the church. Some of you have expressed the desire to move your membership, move your life with your membership. Let's do it. The easiest time is on the very first word of the invitation. Let's do it while we stand and sing.